Hey everyone, it's Tom Kratz and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Dave Butler is on to chat about the mortgage market in Canada, what he's seeing around variable rates and fixed rates. We actually talk about risk managers. It's something new in the mortgage market that you should know exists. So we dive into the role of the risk manager and what's happening with these risk managers um, in the mortgage market. We talk about GDS ratios, TDS ratios. We talk about the banks, if they're being cautious, how the lending's going. If you're getting government, um, some kind of government supplement, can you use that as part of your income, the deferral situation, what's happening with deferrals, how are the banks looking at deferrals, credit scores, we cover it all. So if you have any questions around mortgages or financing, this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show is for you. Quarterbacking your financing and understanding this stuff is definitely the key to being successful in real estate investing. The landscape around financing is constantly changing and it's why Dave if you haven't heard of Dave yet, Dave of Butler Mortgages has been really valuable over the years because he's he's become really, I guess, an expert when it comes to investors and navigating the landscape around financing and banks when it comes to investors looking to buy investment properties, refinance investment properties. So we really appreciate him coming on, him sharing his expertise and his time on this episode. Enough of Dave. If you're listening to this, we want to share one thing with you. If you haven't checked out our YouTube channel yet, there's this one YouTube video where I talk about inflation or deflation, what happens next for Canada, where we use this example that gets me all excited about a Wayne Gretzky rookie card and a BMX bike. If you have not checked out this video yet, we're getting pretty good feedback about it. If you're curious how inflation works and you're not really quite sure or how deflation works and how the velocity of money is important to both of these things and you're not quite sure how these things work, it's time to understand these concepts because they're going to be really important going forward. When we live in a, in a world where things are changing this rapidly, we believe it's on each of us to increase our knowledge of how the economy works so that we can navigate it properly to truly live life on our terms. That's what we're all about. So if you haven't checked that out yet, you can go to www.youtube.com forward slash rockstar inner circle and you'll see that video there, inflation or deflation, what happens next for Canada. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. We are live with my brother, Nicholas Alexander Carazza, and Dave Butler of Butler Mortgages. And Dave, Nick and I are working really hard here in the Oakville offices. I know you live partly in town and you live half the year I don't even know where half the year you live, but you live somewhere else in Ontario. Where, 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 do, where are you? Where, before, let, let, Dave, let, Dave, before you answer, I just want Tom. I want you to know that I can hear you, just because, just in case you were wondering, because I know sometimes you, okay. you, want, you wonder that. Yeah, thanks, Nick. The mic is working. Yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> Go, jeez. I yes. am. Uh, I am up in. Uh, I, we, we hang out up in uh, the core of the lakes area where we have a cottage. I live here like six months of the year. So, and these are the months that I like to live up here. Obviously, for uh, for simple reasons. So, I, I I got myself up here in mid March when this thing started to get crazy with COVID, and uh, I've been hunkered down, quarantined up here, just doing my thing. And uh, I feel like I'm working a lot more. I feel like you guys are probably doing the same thing. Are you guys working more? Because I feel like I'm working more now during COVID than I've ever worked before. So I'm curious what's going on with you guys. Yeah, I think both of us feel like we've been working harder over the last couple of months than just putting out different information to all the different rock star investors that we work with. It's been, it's been an intense few months. Those first few weeks, remember when you and I were chatting and Nick were chatting about what just is going on? There was that really early period that Nick that you talk about quite often really at the beginning I want to say in March when like the bank we thought the banks might like be like seizing up a little bit even and everybody was just looking around at like what's happening now I feel like there's a better handle on what's going on so uh yeah it's been crazy it's been crazy yeah. but I, I want to start at the beginning so for everyone listening what is the current state uh, let's start with the current state of interest rate, like, you know, fixed and variable rates. And then we'll talk about qualifications and that whole bit. So can you give us like the ballpark? And I know it's different for everyone, but give us the fixed rate, variable rate. Where are we at? 
Yeah. So, I mean, obviously during, you know, when COVID started and then there was the uncertainty, as you talk about with the panic and the money markets were moving, I mean, it was just high volatility. Um, we've, we've obviously, we can all now see that there was, um, you know, we'll call it some calm um, that's come upon the markets. So right now, I mean, we've got fixed rates are actually back to record low rates. I mean, we're, 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 we're hovering back to close to pre-COVID rates on the fixed stuff. I'm seeing 259, 249, 269 stuff on owner occupied. Uh, we're seeing rental stuff for a five year fixed in the, you know, 279 to even like 289, 299 range. Um, and then, of course, the variable rates. I mean, the variable is now back in play. I mean, if, you know, I would say from a straight money standpoint, you know, for a good, what, year and a half there the variable rate was actually higher than the fixed rate. So it was actually a really tough call to go and take a higher rate thinking that, hey, like a pandemic has to happen, you know, for me to be better than the fixed now. But it happened. And those of you that took a variable have wrote it down and are sitting at some really low rates. But um, the reality was there was a good time there What, where, you know, a variable rate was being offered at, let's say, I don't know, we'll say it was what, three point. 3.65, and the fixed rates were at, at 299, 289. So it was tough to take a variable. So um, we're finding the variable rates are back. They're back in play. We've got uh, 2.3, 2.2 right now from major banks on owner-occupied stuff. We're seeing 2.3, 2.4, on uh, rental stuff. So, I mean, uh, bottom line is we're, we're back. I mean, uh, we're seeing mid-twos to lower mid-twos. Um, on most of uh, on most of the overall rates, so so uh, so just so I'm clear, so the prime rate in Canada, the bank prime rate is about two point, not about, it, I think it is two point four five, and you're you're seeing now discounts again off the prime rate on new variable rate mortgages. I want to be really clear for anyone listening to this: if you have if you had a variable rate mortgage a year ago that you got for Dave, so if someone got like prime minus point six or something, yep. they would today be at two point four five minus. 0.6. So they would be under 2%. This is just for new variable rate mortgages. You're looking at prime with, it sounds like a small discount. And the reason I think that you're, you're talking that they're back in play is that in March when crap was hitting the fan a little bit, the discount completely went away and you were seeing prime plus for a little bit, correct? Yeah, we, it was, I mean, that, that was the volatility kind of we speak of when everything kind of broke loose. I mean, when the panic sets in and the money markets start moving in in very interesting ways uh, before the equilibrium hits, um, you've got high volatility. So what that did is it caused the, the variables for a, a slight small time period we're at prime plus. And it's really just the waiting. I mean, uh, getting through that initial panic. And then the money markets start to cool themselves off. But um, yeah, I mean, bottom line is right now we are back to discounts. And I have a feeling the more time goes on, assuming there's no massive second wave or, you know, or something else happens that's not predictable, um, I would say you're probably going to get bigger discounts coming from Prime. I mean, the standard discount off Prime in this country in probably the last say 15 years was usually prime minus like 0 0.5, 0 0.6. That's an average kind of variable. There have been times when you've had prime minus 1% or better. There's also been times where it's prime plus, but overall an average kind of variable rates can be prime minus 0 0.5, 0 0.6. I think we're going to get there. Um, I hate to predict stuff, but I mean, I think it's possible just in the way and the direction in which things seem to be moving right now. Dave, something that we've been talking about a lot, Nick and I, when we're looking at the economy, we're like, okay, you know what, we are, this is not a liquidity problem like it was in 2008. This is a balance sheet problem where companies and individuals, there's a lot of debt and, and governments, have, there's a lot of debt out there in the world. So even as rates come down, there might not be the appetite for borrowing. And then if you, if you layer on the fact that banks might tighten their lending standards, it's going to be a really interesting time going forward. So we've been actually telling everyone, and this, this may sound, it might sound shocking to some people, but if you know our kind of our attitude towards what you need to set yourself up to, to protect yourself in all economic environments, we've been telling people, hey, if you're able to get financing right now and you're able to get a good income producing asset, you still want to do that right now because we don't know what the future brings and we don't know what the bank's lending requirements are going to be three months from now, never mind six months from now. So although we've seen some stability return in the, in the lending market, my question to you, I guess, currently is what are you seeing around lending standards? Are they, have they been tightening up? Are they, 
Are they loosening? Where are we? Because to me, this is everything going forward. This is going to be the battle between the banking sector and what the government wants the banking sector to do. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting question because we hear of, you know, there's the, there's the talk out there of banks tightening up, but I think we really need to look at it from a macro level. Um, I would say to you that there are no programs right now that are being attacked, you know, overall programs being attacked in terms of um, shutting down of programs, in terms of curbing lending. I can actually tell you that that's not the case. Lending is actually still pre COVID. It's pretty much the same, except a couple little minor things. Um, You know, ultimately, one of the things that kind of COVID has done is it's really affected the employment sector, of course, right? And, And so, when you've got a mortgage application that most of the time is built based on GDS and TDS ratios, which are directly correlated to your income, when now you've got companies laying off people, you've got companies downsizing, you've got companies putting people on lower hours per day, um, the bank has been forced and the banks and lenders have been forced to really micromanage the income and the employment and make decisions based on that. So where there's probably a misconception is that they're saying basically banks are tightening, banks are tightening. It's actually not that banks are tightening per se. It's that banks are definitely now being extremely cautious with the environment that's out there with employment and due to COVID. And that's, that's probably the misconception that's being out there that banks are tightening. Now, certainly there have been some banks um, that have maybe modified very slightly. Like I know there's is some banks that are saying, Hey, we, you know, we're going to look a little bit more at your down payment, you know, where it's coming from, um, those types of things. But in terms of actual tightening and getting rid of programs or really, you know, slowing down the liquidity, that hasn't happened. The banks have actually been, in my opinion, very, very um, open in terms of, of approving deals. It's just whether or not the employment is still there. If the employment's not there, we have a problem. And that's a big problem. Yeah, and that's fair. I, that's and, and in the banks, I guess, defense, that's totally fair, right? If you have any concern on whether the loan that you're going to put out there is going to be able to be repaid consistently, you don't want to do that lending. Um, so that's that's totally fair. Okay, so it's another way for just to continue to kind of analyze the situation is that the lending's there, but the employment situation. So really, when I've been talking about like bank tightening, it's really that combination of like, are the, what, how's the lending going to work in an environment where employment might be changing? I think over there's the next also more. Months? I think there's also more judgment calls now, which which can be kind of uh, somewhat challenging sometimes because they could look at someone and Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you know, the, the banks, from my understanding, are looking at or the underwriters are, are and logically they're looking at certain industries like maybe it's the fitness industry or someone has like a massage clinic, and so obviously those sectors will likely be hit more because, you know, because with all the regulations going to come in place from the government, those things are going to th- th- look, the, the reality is those things are going to change. I don't know for how long or how much, but, but, but with, with all indications are there going to be like overreaching um, regulations around it. So the, so the banks are coming out and saying, Hey, look, you're in that industry. So we're just making the assumption that your business is going to suffer by this much. And they're lumping them all in into the, the same bucket, which can be fair or could not be fair but they're not, to, and, and I mean, they don't have the ability to look inside and see how that business is built. So I guess I'm talking specifically for business owners because there's going to be some people that have a massage clinic that their business is going to be hit by a fraction of what other people's are going to be hit by, right? And I think that's where there's some tightening that, and I just don't really know a way around it for them, to be honest. You know, they have to do their their kind of risk analysis around it. But that that's where some challenges are going to lie for sure because they're going to lump different people into different buckets, whether they belong there or not. Yeah. And you know what, that's an amazing point. And I mean, that's that you've hit it on the head in terms of what they're doing. And I think that's where, you know, (laughs) the reality is you're going to need a good bank rep or a good mortgage broker or mortgage agent that knows how to sell your story to the bank. And I don't mean sell your story. Like you're selling something that's not legitimate. I'm talking about if you are in business still, and I'll give you a good example. I have, I have a client who was running a business, he owns two restaurants. And he ended up, of course, restaurants are in bad shape, you know, when we talk about uh, how COVID has hit that industry. Um, well, you know what, he ended up taking his business and yes, he ended up laying a lot of people off and he's not allowed to have patrons in his store, but he turned his business into both restaurants into full takeout, 
Okay. And again, he doesn't have the same amount of staff hired, but he was able to demonstrate to me that he said, Hey, I can show you and I'll show the bank, my bank statement showing all the revenue where we are taking in during COVID. And they can even look and match that to what we were bringing in before. And I don't think they're going to notice much of a difference. Obviously they will might maybe notice a difference in the income, but his point was I'm not paying out the same amount of salaries anymore. So we actually went to the banks and, and now the good news is at the banks and the lenders, most, if not all files where there's someone that's self-employed, those files are getting referred to a risk manager who is then making a decision, as you pointed out, to whether or not COVID is going to future affect that business, currently affect that business. And they are the ones making those decisions. And I can tell you that this client in particular that owned the restaurants, we end up getting an approval on his mortgage. And we were able to demonstrate that he's still in business. He's still earning, earning funds. And we made a good case for it through our lender notes and in the follow-up questions that the risk manager had come back on and the deal got approved. So I think it's going to really come down to do you as a mortgage broker or a mortgage agent or a bank rep know how to present deals and employment and fight for your client, uh, you know, to these risk managers to get the approvals that you need. I think that the, is that a new, on the head. is the risk manager a new, that's a new step, Brand I guess. New. Yeah, that was as soon as COVID came in. Every single business for self customer that was on an application, the file got referred into risk management for approval. So the underwriters were no longer able to auto approve any files where someone was self-employed. They always had to go to a risk manager. And that has actually led to a big lineup now, a big bottleneck with some of the banks that we're working with. And this is not a slight on them at all. It's just that because a lot of files have to now be approved through risk managers, we are having now sometimes to wait seven, eight, nine days until we get an approval back. But again, that's not a slight to them. That's just, there is now a massive amount of files being reviewed by the same amount of risk managers that were doing it previously. Look, there's a bottleneck in all businesses, man. You try to go to a retail store. Now you're standing outside in line for a half hour before you can even get what you want. So it's, it's no different in that sector, right? Dave, can you just quickly take a step back just when you talk about GDS, TDS, that kind of stuff, for anyone not familiar with that concept, can you just break it out? Yeah, so the the GDS, TDS ratios are are pretty much, you know, when we we look at mortgages, you know, and how they're getting approved, a lot of people, you know, they look at these big applications and they get confused and they send it in and they probably think like there's some massive computer system with some crazy name that then puts all the information together and spits out something. But the reality is it's, it's not really like that. A mortgage application is defined in usually three major parts. It's the credit score. And that's kind of like your first door that you have to go in, right? If your credit, you know, passes the smell test and you go through that door and now you get to the second door and the second door then looks at, you know, what is your down payment amount? How much do you have or how much equity do you have in your home? And then if you pass that door, now you go through to the final door. And the final door is, what are your debt service ratios? Do you pass the test that the banks will put you through? And really all it is, is that the GDS is your um, gross debt service ratio. And the TDS is your total debt service ratio. And they're actually the same ratios mathematically in terms of numerator calculator, except on the TDS ratio, you're adding in other debts to the numerator. And now I'll back up and give the real human is, um, you take your income that's coming in and you take, let's say the mortgage payment that you're trying to apply for, the property taxes, a little bit of heating, any debts you have, and you put that on the top and you divide, you you put all your debts, the payments, and you divide that by your income. And that's gonna spit out a percentage. And if you're at, for instance, on the GDS ratio, the banks all say you can't have much more than 39 to 45% GDS ratio. And on the TDS ratio, the banks say you can't have more than 45 to 50% on the TDS ratio. Um, and effectively, that is how you then get a green light for an approval or a red light as a decline. Because if you pass the test on credit, you pass that you have the equity or the down payment, the next step in deciding, do you qualify for this particular mortgage or how much of a mortgage do you qualify for is all predicated generally on your GDS, TDS ratios. Now, there are some exceptions I know CIBC has a rental program where they don't look at GDS, TDS. They will actually have a rental program where if you have more than three rental uh, properties and you have $100,000 liquid asset requirement, they will actually look at your, they don't look at your ratios. They just look at your DCR uh, ratio on a, uh, on your spreadsheet for all your rental portfolios. So I mean, there's little exceptions to the rules, but by, uh, by, 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 by the end of the, at the end of the day, uh, the GDS TDS is generally going to decide how much you can get approved for and whether you get approved for. 
And that's done for everybody on the application, correct? So like if there's two people on the application, it's them combined or if it's one person, correct? That is correct. Yeah. That okay. Is so in that scenario with now, if it's multiple people on the application and somebody's getting one of the government programs, do you know if those government programs qualify as income? Like if somebody's getting like a CERB check or, you know, some, some kind of supplement from the government that's new, is that, does that count as income? I guess it does. Uh, so with the with the with the major lenders, I'm talking about the A lenders, the lenders that you have to fully qualify for. We're talking about major banks and major uh, monoline institutions like MCAPs, First National, stuff like that. Um, they will not use CERB as income because they won't. Okay. I thought you could kind of sneak that one. <laughs> not that I guess if you're getting CERB that you're going to be qualifying on multiple income properties, but it, I mean it's government money. It's government money coming to I have I have some good news for you that the B lenders uh, actually will use it. So that is a very cool thing is that the B lenders who are not under the same regulation as the, uh, you know, class A banks and monoline lenders, the B lenders such as, you know, home trust on the B side, Equimo on the B side, some of these lenders are actually using the CERB payment, which is fantastic. So where, where, where they're not using on the A side, they are using on the B side. So there is some benefit to, um, disclosing it to your mortgage broker and letting them know that you are receiving it. Doesn't I think that scare the heck of out of the out of the lender. Like if the lender, if you're mm -hmm. if you're saying like my income has been, you know, disrupted because of all this, doesn't right away the lender going to be like, well, call us when your income's not disrupted. Like you know. Yeah. So the way it is on the B side, uh, you know, the caveat to them using the CERB is that the B lender has to feel pretty comfortable that the client was in a position or in a sector that will within the next six months be coming back to, uh, you know, normalcy after COVID. So uh, if, if, if the B lender thought that, you know, once the CERB is over, this client's never going to be working again, then they actually would make the gut call and say, no, we're not approving it. But if it's, let's say, someone in an industry where the lender feels pretty confident that within the next six to 12 months, that client would be back to work, then they are making those exceptions and using the CERB payment. So, I mean, they are the good news about, I mean, I will say like, like, you know, a lot of the institutions and I will, you know, applaud them where, where it's needed is that I know a lot of the A and the B lenders have really stepped up and have, you know, kept the liquidity up and um, they really are trying to figure out ways to do these deals. Because I have a feeling if they just said no to every scenario that was affected by COVID, I have a feeling they would be impacted possibly more than the rest of us. So I think it's, I mean, I think it's self-serving that they're, you know, making a lot of these exceptions and whatnot, but I think it's obviously for us uh, in the field that we're in, we, you know, it's kind of something that we need to look at, you know, to take advantage of as much as possible for our clients. Yeah. There's some, I think there's some articles that have come out early on stating that the government was really kind of asking or telling, I guess they were, they were put it politely. They were asking, but they were trying to make a pretty firm point saying, guys, we need you to keep lending through this. And that's the expectation. If we're going to give you, if we're going to backstop all these things that we're backstopping for you and they started buying the securities off their books and stuff in exchange, we need you to kind of, here's what we need you to do. There was, uh, there was one, and I've mentioned this before, I think on, a, on another episode, but I read a, a, an article, it was, a, it was a national post article early on. And it was when the, the federal government was trying to put, passed one of the early stimulus bills, the conservative government was saying, um, they're like, you look, you're trying to get all these kind of tax, these, these wide sweeping tax reforms passed as well. So you can kind of do whatever you want. And, and it kind of put a halt to it and eventually got passed and some of them got removed. And it came out afterwards, at least in this article stating that it, some, some people inside the government were saying the reason that was there by the liberals is they wanted the ability to uh, implement new taxes on the banks specifically if they weren't lending and contributing to the economy. And that's why they were trying to push that through. Yeah. Now, look, it's from a third source from a National Post article that I read. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. But the fact that it was there, I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting because they're, they're going to, you know, they, they know the importance of the bank to keep doing this. And the banks are going to be there for survival of their, themselves too. So if they, you know, if, if they want to tighten up because they think it puts them on firmer footing, they might. So it was a little bit of an interesting take on the, on the whole situation. But I do agree with you. I mean, they, you know, there's been a lot of things implemented. And considering the, the, the pace at which the government and the banks implemented these things, they, I didn't know they were, but it's now like they've set the bar because now they've shown that they're capable of doing things quickly. So I don't know if that's going to keep up or not, but uh, we'll see how that goes. 
Can you imagine? Well, I mean, I, 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 I just, you know, human beings, I wonder like what would have happened if the banking system started failing in those really, you know, those mid March kind of, you know, really oh times. I mean, imagine people couldn't take their money out. What was, what, what were we, what, how close oh, were we to craziness? To civil unrest. Right. I, th I think we, we are closer to civil unrest at all times than anyone realizes, <laughs> you know, that's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. Just thinking about that is crazy. But, uh, um, what, okay. So what about deferrals now? So what's the latest on deferrals? I know when this first came out, you couldn't remember, you couldn't get through to the bank for like, we had some investors on hold for like, or some people that we know, uh, I think they were on hold for six hours at a time. It was just insane. Now I know you can get through and there's more processes. Are the banks from what you're st seeing still the deferral program still active? Like yeah. nothing's changed around there. Yeah, deferral program is still active. Um, I actually had a client just recently, and I think you asked me this question the other day, Tom, whether um, people are still getting six-month deferrals now that were two months. Yeah, because I, I didn't know if it yeah. was like ending. or I couldn't remember right. if it was like ending in September or could you start now and get six months or... Well, I remember at the, when, at the time you asked me, it was such a valid question that I thought to myself, but then it took me a second to remember. I was like, oh no, I do remember a client literally the week before that had let me know they got the six month deferral. So they hadn't started it in March or April. They actually started it in May. And I remember him telling me it was deferred until November. So um, yeah, so the, the deferral programs are still going on. It's obviously, as you state, much easier now to do it as opposed to when the herd, you know, was all trying to do it at the same time, which made sense. I mean, if you needed it, you needed to call. And unfortunately, you know, it was a lot of people that were doing it at the same time. But now I think, you know, it's as easy as with some banks as even going online and you can just fill out a form and it actually, it's pretty automated. So um, yeah, much easier to do. And definitely they're still being done now. Um, I have noticed and I've heard that at the B lenders, you know, and they do things differently, like just how they will use CERB payments for some situations. They are not in the same position as the banks in terms of having all that protection from the government. Um, so the B lenders have to act a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more uh, carnivorous, if you will, uh, which is a terrible word when you talk about lending, but um, they have to be a little bit more careful, um, you know, and so I know with them, they were always doing it on a case by case basis. And I think, you know, if they believe, if the B lenders were to believe that things and industries were coming back within a certain time, it would not shock me for a B lender to only offer a certain length of time of months on a, on a uh, deferral. I mean, that wouldn't, that wouldn't shock me. To your point it. about the, about the deferrals, I, I messed up. Like I actually didn't want to defer one of ours and I did because I was online and I'm like, Oh, there's this link you can So I was online logged in. I'm like, Oh, you can just click here for deferral. I'm like, Oh, I clicked here. Like, I wonder how this works. And then it's like, you enter your mortgage number. And I think there was one other thing. And then I thought it was going to be like a next button type thing to be like, <laughs> how many months do you want to defer? Or do you have a reason or just something like something else? And I clicked the button and then it was like, okay, yeah, your request has been submitted. I was like, oh, no, that was, I didn't, I, I, that wasn't the goal actually. And then I got an email like two hours later saying your, your request has been approved. I'm like, oh damn, I wasn't trying to actually defer that mortgage, but now it's deferred. And it was six months automatic. It wasn't like I can defer it for two months or anything. So um, yeah, I don't know. So, you know, we like to attack the banks a lot, but I have to admit the way they did handle that you know, and, and, and the way the economy is, the, the, you know, the need, we could all argue whether the, this, all this stuff should be done for how long it should be done. But the way they handled it in the moment was really good. Like, I really have to commend the banks. They yeah. didn't ask many questions. They, they, they allowed it to happen when the government said the program was going to come in. All the checks, you know, when that CERB program went out, that thing went out. I don't know if, I don't know, Nick, if you heard the Bank of Canada was talking about how easy the process was or how great and efficient it was to get money into the hands of Canadians that it was better to use the CERB program and just send people the money than, than the employment insurance program. Yeah, I saw Because that. that requires application and, you know, the proof of work and the whole bit. Whereas, and that kind of just made me laugh. I'm like, oh my gosh, these guys have figured out that, okay, if we need to flood the economy with money, the easiest way is to actually just send it into the bank accounts of Canadians. <laughs> this is, but that wasn't through the banks though. That was the Canadian was, government put, putting that money in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just talking about the, how the banks were good with the deferral program and how the government was really oh. good. Because let's face it, at the beginning there, that really did calm Canadians. The fact that everybody was going to get these programs. It did. It, no, no, 100%, 100%. Yeah, so I have to commend them where you know, it's due. Oh, they did a good job with that.
you know where they did do really good? I've talked to a bunch of my clients that are business owners and apparently that $40,000 interest-free loan thing that, I mean, I, I was told that you went online, you filled out some stuff, you had to put some, uh, some dot, some, some numbers from your line one, I think 14 or something, something about a payroll. And if you fit within the range and you put all your banking info in there, it was like six days, seven days later, 40 grand showed up in your business bank account. And then uh, right, and then the next day, apparently the loan shows up right beside the bank account for the 40 grand. But, um, you know, apparently that was all done through the bank. So, I mean, the, you know, to give the banks a little bit of uh, props as well. I mean, because that was money coming from the bank, loans from the bank. That was apparently that's that was all automated there as well. So very interesting to see that. I mean, I had multiple business owners telling me that they showed up in their account one day with zero notice, no email, no nothing. They just went in their account. They had 40 grand from the bank in there as a loan. And then the I'm always torn on this stuff so much because it is great because yeah, we, we, we heard the same stuff and, and I'm always torn on it because they did do a good job. But the, Part of me always thinks that the Bank of Canada is sitting back and thinking, okay, this is good. We know how to just flood the market with money. Should we ever need to just really get aggressive here? So part of me is always, which I know is like wrong to think that way because I know they're helping people. But part of me is just like, oh, so they saw that work. So the next time they need to flood the market with money, I can see what they're going to do. They're just going to, because the, 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 both those programs were pretty simple. Like the SERP program, you could either go online or there was a phone number that you could call like yeah. it was literally just a matter of putting in the phone number i think if you're if you're set up with the online banking you get it if not you get a check oh my gosh a beautiful lamborghini i'm not even a car guy but this amazing lamborghini just drove by yeah. <laughs> sorry convertible um but yeah it, but part of me does think that there's someone sitting back at the bank of canada and i know they're not sitting like you know kind of wringing their hands like in <laughs> Like little, Mr. Burns from the yeah, Simpsons or something like totally. that, right? But part of me does think there's like, there's this attitude like, oh, okay, that's the way we're going to do it. And they're acting rationally at the time. But as this all evolves, I just wonder where we're headed with this kind of stuff. Well, yeah, the, the, yeah, the flip side of it is when, you know, during one of the press conferences, someone asked Trudeau about, you know, the cost and how they're going to pay for it. And he responded, and, and I'm, I'm not quoting him here, but it was essentially saying, well, you know, we're not worried about, I'm, I'm not worried about how we're going to pay for it. We just, it's something that we need to do. And I was like, look, I get it. It was something that needed to be done. But at the same time as you're doing it, you got to think about how you're going to pay for the damn thing. Like you got to, like, there's got to be some thought process. Like if, if you're taking it based on that response, then I'm like, well, man, you're leaving out a big part of the equation because what happens now? And I know maybe we're getting off the topic of mortgages, but that that's the real question afterwards. Great. You did a good job. You did this. But I mean, as you were doing that, I hope someone put some forethought into like, okay, here's some ramifications and here's how we got to kind of fix this as we go on. Instead of just saying, okay, you know, it's easy to do the easy part, right? But you got to kind of, if you're going to put a whole plan in place, it takes a little bit of effort and hopefully that effort was, was put in. And there's been no responses by anyone thinking that giving to give any kind of like, you know, um, uh, uh, confidence in that actually. It's always, and we're going we're gonna to get back to mortgages in a second, but it's always been my belief that the RRSP program, I've always, just always thought this. I'm like, by the time someone like my age is ever to take the money out of the RRSP, the tax rate, even at a lower income level, because the whole like concept is that, you know, you take money out because you're earning less, so you're going to be a tax rate. Less. The income, the tax rate is going to be higher so that <laughs> why wouldn't I just take the money out now or, you know, or not even participate in it instead of putting it in there and being taxed higher later. But uh, anyway, that's a whole, well, whole that's, other conversation. Well, that's, but that's, that's, that's where it's going to find its, I mean, you're wondering like, what is the, <laughs> you know, what happens when you flood the market with money? This is what happens. Their taxes will eventually go up. And the people, you know, we will all pay for it. You know what I mean? And, 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 and probably younger generations are going to pay for it, which I'm sure is kind of how the world works is we're probably saying like, oh, we're paying for something that our other generations ahead of us did and so on and so on. And, and boomers, think, these boomers, <laughs> they really got, you know. They got us good. They got us good, the boomers. They got us good. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, the reason I was asking you about the deferral program, though, is because McMaster University announced this week that they were going to their fall sessions, they were going to do completely online. And I think even Nick, I don't know if I remember correctly, but I think the wording in the letter from the president was like, do not show up to campus. 
And that then got me thinking, because I know a lot, of, a lot of the university students that we know, they want to go back to school, whether they're going to be online or not. They're going back to school. They want to hang out with their friends. They want to be, you know, in that kind of environment. Oh, it's and their new life now. Like, it's that's their, their yeah, life, right? Yeah, but there's going to be, obviously, that's going to have some students maybe, I don't know, change their plans or whatever. And it just got me thinking to those particular landlords that have student rental properties, could they defer for six months now if they chose to because i thought okay if you can defer now for six months that gets you to november the fall term start or sorry the winter term uh starts in january so okay that's that's pretty decent and if the students can get that uh student benefit which i think is 1750 a month so uh, 1750 dollars a month i'm like okay between those two things there are actually in canada a shocking amount of support for this particular situation because the students can get 1750 and if they're going to live up to their end of the bargain of being an adult and signing on a lease, that helps them pay for the lease. Or if you are in a position where the landlord has people just walking away, the deferral of the mortgage becomes really critical to your own, you know, cash flow and requ requirements. So that's where we are coming from on the question, Dave. So I was just, just yeah. curious about it from that point of view. Hey, back to the RSPs thing for a second. Where do things stand now? Can you use RSPs as a qualification? Like, can you use that as like assets that you have as to help with qualification with the bank or it doesn't do anything? Like if you have a, I don't know, let's say you have 200 grand sitting in RSP. Does that help you in any way, shape or form qualifying for a mortgage? Um, on the technical side, like from a technical standpoint, no. I mean, the RSP doesn't do anything to your credit, your income, or your down payment, unless, of course, you were planning on cashing out the RSP. But where the RSP does come in handy is that, you know, we're still in a human environment in the mortgage business where someone is approving, as we've talked about, a, a risk manager is someone that's going to look at a file. Um, having a client with assets like RSPs, TFSAs, and the other investments um, in the money markets like that, um, that's never going to hurt an application. Um, that could be the difference between, you know, believe it or not, between uh, a risk manager approving a deal and declining a deal. Take, take you have the exact same deal two times, you know, different clients though, but same numbers, same everything, same credit, everything exactly the same. If the one couple has more assets like RSPs and whatnot than the other one, you know, it's more likely that that one's going to get approved, that one that has the assets over, over the one that does not. So they, they're not in the technical scheme of things with regards to how a mortgage gets approved. But when you're at, when you've talking about a human being like a risk manager being part of that decision, now it never hurts to have anything, you know, positive on the file that you can try to use to, to sway them to approve the file. Okay. And then on the deferrals, Dave, are you seeing anything around um, what people need to be aware of if they do defer on how that might affect qualifications going forward? Like what should, what, what, just like the broad things we need to be aware of here. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's been apparent now in the last couple months that if you have deferred a mortgage, you know, for example, with RBC, and you are now going back to RBC and applying for a mortgage, let's say on that property or a different property. Um, RBC is probably not going to look favorable upon the fact that you're wanting to get money from them while you've asked them to stop taking payments. So uh, we are definitely finding that there are some challenges there. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, there are situations where that maybe that application just doesn't go back to RBC. It goes to a different bank who then is not so um, sensitive about the fact that you've got deferrals at other banks. So it's really just, it's, it's a case by case situation. And it's, it's something that you should be getting guided through by your mortgage representative. Um, and that's just some, that's part of being a mortgage agent, a mortgage broker, is actually being, you know, understanding where and, and where to send your deals and why, why you're sending your deals here. Um, and what are some of the benefits you can, you know, you can you know, have by going to different places. So, um, I, I got to admit, when this whole, sorry, I was going to say when this whole deferral thing started, like there was a lot of people that really just jumped on the bandwagon right away, like the first day, cause they, they announced it and it came out pretty quick. And without knowing a lot of the details or whatever they, they, you know, a lot of people really feared the worst early on. They're like, this is mandatory, whatever. I got to do this. I got to do this. They jumped on it. You know, instead of just like, and they, you know, waiting a week or two and then making the decision, maybe after seeing some details. And, and I'm sure a percentage of those people that was absolutely necessary, but I think a percentage of people was probably a little bit of panic had set in 
and they just reacted from an emotional state. And, um, you know, so it just, it kind of skewed things a little bit as to the, the potential need for it, I think, you know, cause we're getting these numbers out of the, here's the percentage of people that did it, you know, so you can, you can see, and, and maybe the percentage is very accurate. Maybe it's off by a few percentage points, which, which, which actually will change the numbers uh, yep. quite a bit as well. You know, but that's just what I saw from the people that I was speaking to. A lot of people were just jumping on board because they kind of, it was an option and then they were going to figure it out later. And I don't blame them for taking that approach. Sometimes that can be a better approach, but, um, but there was definitely some lack of details before they took, took them up on, the, uh, on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was, uh, I can tell you, we are fielding multiple calls per week of clients that, you know, are coming to us. Um, you know, let's say they're wanting to, you know, and obviously you guys know I work with mainly investors. So a lot of our investor clients are wanting to come and kind of get ready for the future. You know, they're, they're wanting to get pre-approved to be able to go and pounce on potential opportunities that might be hitting the market. And as we're updating their file, they're telling us that they deferred this mortgage payment. They deferred this mortgage payment. We're like, okay, well, this is, you know, we, we, we uh, that's where the planning comes in because, you know, we, we, we don't want to have those deferrals on there and, and applying to those same banks for mortgages down the road when we're trying to buy our properties. So it's, it's you know, a, a good mortgage broker nowadays is definitely turning more and more like a mortgage planner. You have to be planning every move now with all these things that have gone on because these the clients of ours have obviously made moves that they didn't necessarily run by us. So now we're having to kind of do backtracking and, and kind of reassess the plans, but that's just part of our job, right? I mean, that's just, that's, and that's part of the response to COVID and that's, that's yeah. how we've, we've handled it. I've never thought about that. Can you, can you take the deferral? Can you tell the bank, Hey, I want to start paying again. This yes. is the weirdest thing. I never thought I would ask. Can you tell the bank, Hey, I'd like to start paying again. <laughs> Yeah. So the, the answer is yes. So we had that happen. I mean, we basically had clients go back, not uh, tell them they didn't need the deferral. And then we applied afterwards and we had to put obviously in, and we, we actually, it, it was very simple. You tell the truth. You say, look, my, my client panicked a bit, you know, their tenant told them they may not be getting payment this month. So they called initially and they deferred the mortgage. But once they realized their tenant was still paying, they called back in and said that they want to continue making the mortgage payments and the bank did not count that against them. So, I mean, that is a, that is a true live case that, that has, that has happened now multiple times because we were able to guide the investor and give them the plan of action that was required to get us to that point. So. And Tom, if we didn't have to wait on hold to do that, it might, if there was an online form to do that, it might actually make, I might just click the two clicks that I'd use to defer it and, and undefer the thing. <laughs> but, but on the flip side, if there was an investor who had some properties and they knew they weren't going to refinance, they knew they weren't going to be buying again, and they were concerned about their own employment, perhaps, maybe not even the tenant's employment, I can see using the deferral for six months on all their properties as a way to build up their cash reserves should a tenant have a future issue that they can then negotiate a compromise and yeah. be able to graciously help out in that kind of situation. So I can kind of see both sides to that because yeah. when this, when crap hit the fan, you know, in March here, I mean, no, we did not know what was coming. Like we didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen and never mind in the, the, the health impact of it. We, none of us really knew in March, but we definitely didn't know the financial side of it either. And we, and in that part's still evolving, right? We still don't know. Yeah. Well, but, you, you, you hit it, you hit it right on the head. You said, um, you know, you said, hey, if, 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 if you aren't looking for financing in the next 12 to 24 months, then why not, you know, take advantage of, of, of what's being offered to you? I mean, and the safety that it came with, that came with it. So I think, I think you hit that part right on the head. If you're looking at doing financing in the short term, you probably would want to rethink some of those deferrals. If you have no need for financing in the next like 12 to 24 months, then definitely take advantage of it. I would have. It, the, neg the negative is that you're paying interest on interest as it gets deferred. But I mean, as if those are rental properties, Dave, back to your point about doing it is, I mean, that's, the, the, that interest is tax deductible. Yeah. So as an investor, and you know what, like, just because the invest, just because, sorry, the tenants are paying now, it doesn't mean their impact, their, their employment's not going to be impacted when things open up. Like their employment might actually be impacted three months from now. So the deferral that you took early on, provided you didn't take the money and go, you know, whatever, spend it on, I don't know, whatever you can spend it on these days, but you, you know, you buy a bunch of stuff online, but, uh, with um, provided you didn't do something like that, then you've now at least protected yourself even for the future. Cause we, once in like the employment numbers, they're not going to bounce back to where they were. Like it's, it's obvious that's not going to happen. So there is going to be a, there is going to be a longer term impact, even if you're not feeling it now. 
So it doesn't necessarily mean it was a bad idea if, if you've taken it and it was, um, and your tenants are still paying rent, provided, like anything, if you're a disciplined investor, though, provided you, you, know, you manage those funds and you use it as a reserve fund, it, it can still be smart to do it that way anyways. Can it's you a good hedge. It's a good hedge. It's a good, there's no question. It's a good hedge. I mean, if we're, if we're gambling here, we're, we're able to hedge a bet like that. So that's, I mean, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. As the long banks as must, plan. The banks must be seeing some crazy stuff because I'm sure there's someone who's deferred a mortgage, but then is making like prepayments on their mortgage at the same time or something. <laughs> like the banks must be seeing the crazy stuff. I know that must exist. There's at least one case of that in Canada where it's like, what's going on here? They deferred their payments, but they're doing a bulk prepayment <laughs> on their mortgage, you know, and someone, some, some, someone who's trying to figure out what the amortized, cause I guess this is going to be re-amortized at the end. That's how Dave, did we talk? Wait, I don't think we talked about that yeah. today yet. That's how the new, your new payment is going to be calculated. They'll, I guess, take the amortization period that's left and jam all your payments into that period and recalculate what your payments are going to be for the rest of the amortization period. Yeah, Is that your understanding? Yeah, so they're basically taking the interest that you should have paid for the uh, six months. They're adding that to what your balance would have been six months later, and then they're re-amortizing it over the amount that you have left. So you will then get a notice from the bank that your payment has increased. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm and just the trying thing to think. You and I were talking time. about the thing that you and I were talking about that confused us for a second was we were wondering what happens if they pay the mortgage off early? You know what I mean? We, and, that, and we had to think about it for a second, but then we realized, wait a second, they're adding the six months of interest to the amount. So if you were to then pay it off and sell the house, the bank's still getting their money because they already added the six months of interest on. So yeah. we, we ended up figuring out that everything made sense. So. Or move banks. Cause it was, we were thinking, we're like, if, if you, if we're they, basically if, thinking how this, how you can work around. This. Yeah. Well, you know, you're like, if they do it over the term and there's one year left on your term, your mortgage payment is going to jump dramatically in yeah. once the, once the deferrals up. Right. So, yeah. so but then, we, and I, you know, the thinking was the bank wants all their money for the term. So you're not going to be able to kind of defer that. But if, if, if they're doing it that way and deferring it, that they'll still get the interest and yep. they'll get the interest on the interest. Yep. So then they'll do it that way. Yeah. That's a good point. If you only that, have one year left on the entire schedule, then your but, payment, but then the bank still, lo- oh, actually, but there's little interest. Sorry. Go there ahead. is little interest. However, but the, 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 on the deferral, if they put it over, if they amortize that over the mortgage, they do lose out on the interest over those six months, which I bet you there's something in there stating that they don't lose out on that interest. Because if I had a mortgage, so I know we're getting complicated for a second, but, but just hear me out. If I have a mortgage, deferred it for six months, I had one year left on that mortgage, the six months worth of interest, if I leave that bank and go switch from whatever, CIBC to TD at that time, CIBC is then losing out on that six months six months. No, they got it. No, because they they added on to the balance. They added it on. Yeah. That was the part that Tom and I couldn't get yesterday. And then we figured out, wait a second, as soon as they add on the six months, there's the onto the balance. Oh, that's, that's right. Cause you're paying out the yeah. full balance at the time. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. This yeah. is where we were trying to get around. We were trying to navigate. The see, the bank, see the banks. I thought for a second, the, no, banks the banker, lose. Banker the banks never win. lose. Yeah. The banker always wins. Yeah. The banker smart. always wins. Too smart. It's, it's too, too smart. good. There's really, there's really no opportunity here. Tom for and us. I thought we had some too. When we were on the call, remember we were like, wait, oh, I think we figured out. And then we're like, wait a sec. They added on. So there's no way. So we tried a million different ways. We couldn't figure out any way it was benefiting the customers. So. But uh, yeah, this is just a unique world. Who would have thought the banks let you stuff? But you know what? In our own research around this, you know what I found? On CMHC's website, CMHC has instructions to all the banks. Now, I don't know if the banks take them up on this, but any insured mortgages, CMHC has a program where you can defer for four months, like at any time. That was a regular thing from CMHC that I had no idea about, which means that if you had called the bank in any situation, pre-COVID or, or whatever, CMHC would allow the banks to allow you to have four months deferral. I had no idea that existed. Yeah. So the bank, like the, would it, the bank would actually have to approve it too, though. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. The, the insurer always says like, Hey, we'll do it if the bank's okay with it. You know what agreed. I mean? Agreed. Like, but yeah, knowing you're, you're, you're that CMHC right. had that, at least you could pressure the bank a little bit yes. and say, you know, hundred yeah, percent. So Dave, something else we, I just wanted to talk about, cause this comes up, uh, uh, you know, fairly often credit score ranges. What is considered to get a lending or to get the best rate? What's currently a good credit score? Well, I mean, I'll, 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 we'll start at the bottom and kind of work our way up in that sense. I mean, to apply at an A lender to be able to get those good rates, like at a major bank or a big monoline institution, um, you need to have basically a minimum 600 beacon score. Now, 
here's the thing. That's the minimum. So if you're sitting at 600 or 601 or 610, you got to understand a risk manager is still going to be looking at that. And they may deem that your credit is not good enough for us to move forward. Um, but so 600 is kind of the cutoff. If you're under 600, you're not likely looking at a lending uh, rates, but if you're above 600, you're at least in the ball game. But the reality is you want to be 650 or higher. And for a lot of the big programs that are out there that the banks and the insurers offer as they pertain to credit, you want to have a minimum of a 680 credit score. And then that's going to pretty much put you in line to get approved for almost every program that's out there. There's a couple that want 700 and 720 credit scores, but the reality is, is uh, 680 or higher is going to get you in the ball game a lot of the time. So, so if I have like 680 and Nick has like a 780, does that change anything? Or at 680, I'm getting best rate and Nick at well, 780 is not, that doesn't matter. First of all, it means Nick's better than you, but I mean, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, no, it means, it means, it, it means, uh, it means uh, a six, 680. If, if I, if I'm applying and I have a 780 and my wife, let's say has a 680, they actually go off low, lowest common denominator. So in that case, they would be basing the pricing off of if you had a 680 credit score. So they don't, and they don't do an average of it. Like if, you know, one has a 780 and one has a 680, they don't go, oh, your average is 730. They always go off the lowest one. And that's why a lot of times, I, you know, we've had clients where they have a 750 credit score and then they're bringing one, on, you know, a, a spouse or a partner on. And unfortunately, they have a 550 credit score. Well, that, that, that doesn't obviously, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't work. They don't, they don't just do an average. They are, they're going to go off the lowest one. So listen, oh, in my dragging, defense, dragging me down. No, no, no. You know, I'm dragging, listen, in my defense, when Nick wasn't making an income declared like I was, and I had good credit, what I still have, I don't want to say I don't have good credit, <laughs> but you know, I had good credit and my income was high stated T4 income. I was the one doing the qualification at the banks. So in my defense, if my, credit, if my credit score is any lower, it's because big brother over here, Dave, <laughs> big brother over here had to step up so that we could keep buying properties because there was at that period. Remember when I was coming to you at one period and you were, I think you were like, the banks are just loving you, man. Because I had T4 income with good oh, yeah. credit. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I remember when we quit our jobs and walked away and I didn't, I knew it was going to be different, but I didn't realize how much I would go into the gutter in the bank's books, <laughs> the bank's books. I think, I don't know. If, oh my I, God. I think, we started having to do flipping circus tricks to try to oh qualify. They're like, okay, we'll approve you. But here's the list of 45 documents we need proving all these different things. You're like, what the heck are you talking? Like uh, one time to close, we had to drive. I'll never forget. It was driving to, I felt like we had to drive across the city or something. Yeah. Cause we had to go get, the a proof that we paid off this Home Depot credit card, the balance was like 12, I think it was eight bucks or something. And we had to drive to like some Home Depot main office to pick it up and then drive over to the, to the lawyer's office to drop it off to prove that we paid off this eight or $12 so we could close on the property. I'm, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I'm actually have to do this for, for this amount of money? Like this is ridiculous. You must've had a terrible mortgage broker. Oh wait, that was probably yeah. me. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I remember when I first met you, Dave, and I, and I remember, and then you were talking so fast about all these mortgages. I remember talking to Nick, I'm like, I don't know if I can use this. This guy i don't know what to make of him but in your defense we've gone through oh and, and at the beginning i think we went through nick 12 to 15 different mortgage brokers and you were the only one who would come through on what they what you said you were going to do time and time again that was the so basically Dave, yeah, that was you the, that won was because you were difference. the last man standing that's it man that's, <laughs> hey, this is a battle of attrition this mortgage industry man this is this is not this is not for the faint of heart no, i remember when we started we had mortgage brokers bringing us pens and subway sandwiches and all kinds of different things. You didn't bring us anything, man. You didn't bring us no, anything. You, but no. you know what? You delivered in your defense. I, I only you, deliver the goods. That's it. I got you, it no fluff. No fluff. We still, well, you know what? We still get approached by a number of people. They're like, oh, well, you know, um, you know, I can do this about this and, and there's these programs. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm like, okay, here's the deal. I'll give them like two scenarios or something. I'm like, oh, go find, find programs that do this. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, and, and you know, because of you, we have, You've, you've shared a lot with us. So we've, we have some decent insight to what's going on and it's never, no one's ever come back and be like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They've always been like, you know what? 
I was a little bit off, <laughs> you know, like, so, yeah, so, uh, you know, and I mean, look, there's, there's, a, look, in we get, every we, industry, there's other, there's, there's, sure. you know, good, yeah, like in every industry's got good, and I'm not saying these guys are bad, they just didn't have the experience and have been through it and have, and know the ins and outs of, of those mortgages, you know what I mean? You know so, what, you know, what's interesting in my business is that, you know, and, and this is obviously my testament to working with you guys is that, like, I've ended up kind of becoming this centrally, you know, real estate investor focused mortgage broker ever since probably probably 2008, 2009. And, you know, as a mortgage broker, uh, a lot of times you might not be well versed in how to deal with investment mortgages and how to set up clients to get them portfolios that they wouldn't necessarily get without your guidance. Um, I'm talking about, a not, you know, which, how many properties to get at which banks and stuff like that. So, I mean, I just think, you know, the reality is, is there's lots of brokers, I mean, that would love to do lots of big business and that's great. But, you know, in the space that we're in, you need to have a specialty. You need to have a niche. You need to know how to work with investors. You need to know how to plan this correctly. And the truth is, you know, is you have to be willing to work for free a lot. And I say that in the, in the, in the, in the way that like we, as, as, as an investor mortgage specialist, you know, there are banks out there that we don't have direct access to their programs. So we actually have to offshoot those files to bank people that we have relationships with that are able to then close the deals for our investors. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of brokers don't like to not get paid. They don't like to see some bank get paid for that. But I mean, it's not about money, you know, in this game that we play and especially not, you know, I'm 17, 18 years into my career. It's just not about money anymore. I actually that my drive is to actually have investors get their mortgages. You guys are happy, you know, and uh, that that's the thing that matters now to me. I have a sick fetish in terms of I just want to see I, mean, I just want to see how many deals we can close and how many investors we can make happy. So. And you know what? That is, I didn't know we were going to be tooting Dave's horn here as much as we are right now. But it's, uh, here, I'll jump on the bandwagon. It, I no, but I, no, to, to be fair, I'll jump on the bandwagon here because what you bring to the table is the relationships. And that's what we've appreciated because you have these relationships now with different bankers that is really, really helpful because you'll get the information that's really useful where, we, where you can tell an investor, here's for fact what you can and cannot do so that someone doesn't chase financing only to think they're going to get it. We've seen people think they're going to get the financing, go firm on a deal. And then the mortgage broker come back to them and say, oops, you know, we didn't get what we thought we were going to get. And then, you know, it's a, usually an emergency call to you saying, hey, we have this investor who's in a panic. Can you help them out? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Here, look um, uh, so you're right, but I'm going to bring this back down to earth and maybe we'll make it more real. So instead of two days horn, we'll explain to everyone that how the business relationship started at a gold's gym in Mississauga. That's no longer there, but it's still a gym, by the way. It's, it's no longer there. And I think if I remember correctly, I think I was sitting on my, I don't know what machine it was. I was going to say a decline press hammer strength machine, but I don't think it was, but it was some sort of bench press machine. I think when they were over by the front door, when it was that set up. And Dave walked up to me and he said, um, cause he was a, a friend of uh, a friend of a friend. I don't, I, I didn't even remember you. I guess we were int introduced to you once before. And you're yeah. like, Hey, you're Rocco's buddy. Right. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, is this good or bad? Like, how do I say this right now? Because like, it is, does this guy want to kill Rocco or is that a good thing? So I'm like, okay, well, we'll take my chances. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm Dave. I remember me, you know, whatever. And we started talking then. And then you told me you were a mortgage broker then. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I think it was right before or right as I was buying my first investment property, yep. actually. Yep. And then um, anyways, it, it, you know what? And to that point, I got myself in a jam. I went firm on financing because of, um, uh, with, because of the mortgage broker I had reached out to at the time before I met you. And I went firm on financing and because something was said on the listing, it said like for land value only or something on the listing because it was like a fixer upper that that guy then came back to me and it was multiple offers. So I went firm thinking, well, I'm pre-approved, so I'm going to get the mortgage. And then that guy came back saying, Hey, look, it says for land value only. I can't get you approved. And I was like, what? You know, and this firm. was 20 years ago. Yeah. So then I reached out, I'm like, I don't know, there's this Dave guy said he can do stuff too. Let's see what happens. But anyways, it was that fateful Hey, at Gold's Gym, we should. I don't think we've ever had a protein shake together to celebrate. One time, we should have a, a protein shake together. Oh God. Hey, the record, I, I was not back to that same hammer strength decline press machine and start hammering out some reps or something. You know what? It's what I'm next up, so that gym's right by my parents' house. I'm gonna go by that gym because I'm sure it's still open, the signs are still up. I'm gonna go by and see if they have that same machine. I'm gonna join for a day, I'm gonna get a day pass for 20 bucks, and I'm gonna oh go God. take a picture on that hammer strength machine. We're, go, we're going, we're going to take a picture out front, man. When everything's back to normal. 
going when social distancing is over. We're going to take a picture back where it all got started, man. Yeah, I, can't so believe, I can't believe you guys met that. That's, that's Rockwood Mall, Burnham, yeah, Thorpe, and Dixie, yes. Mississauga, Rockwood Mall, where it all yeah. started. So if you're ever <laughs> contemplating this, so if you're thinking that, you know, you might, you know, this is was like a, a very formal, good business relationship. Now we might have just brought you down to earth and just been like, oh, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with either of these guys. Get me away from here. <laughs> well, that's good. To, good thing it's not Zoom. I was blushing there for a while. So I'm glad that we can, no one can see this. So <laughs> that was funny, man. That was funny. I'll never forget that. I, and I, I, I still talk to Rocco. He's like, hey, how's Dave doing? Right? Uh, Rocco's so, the best. Rocco's yeah. the best. Well, uh, well, Nick, unless you have anything else, we'll, we'll wrap it there. Dave, I totally appreciate this, man. I know you're jumping on. We'll, we'll do this again in the next little while. I have a feeling the landscape's going to be constantly shifting and changing, especially over the next two, three, six months, that kind of time. So we'll, we'll, we'll bring you back on so we can get updates like this. I had a, a few more things I wanted to, to run by, but we're going to leave it for now. Nick, anything, anything else on your mind? No, I think we're good. Dave, appreciate it, man. Awesome. Thanks, Stay good. Guys. Stay really, well. Really Keep doing what you're doing. And yeah, we really, really appreciate everything that you're doing for, for everyone out there. And, and there is a, the way you said you have a, you know, like a fetish to get people as many deals as they can. We're really trying to help people live life on their terms and to introduce different people where everyone's thinking the same way. And we're kind of all aligned. And even though our goals and what that means might be different, we're all chasing kind of the same thing is really important to us. So you're a big part of that, man. Really appreciate it. So thank you, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradz again. If you're looking to reach out to Dave Butler's office, the contact information that we forgot to hand out is this. It's 1-888-684-8326. So that's the phone number, 1-888-684-8326. Or you can email him at info at butlermortgages.com. So that's info at butlermortgages.com. So uh, thanks for listening. Hopefully you got some information uh, from that. And if you are listening to this and you want more real estate related information, you can go to our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com forward slash rockstar inner circle for all the latest videos that we publish out there. Over the last few weeks, we've done a series of them that we're getting pretty good feedback on. My favorite one is inflation or deflation. What happens next? To, uh, to Canada and we use a couple examples to try and explain these pretty complex economic topics. Give us your feedback, let us know what you think. You can check these out at www.youtube.com forward slash rockstar inner circle. Thanks for listening. Until next time, your life, your terms.